but it's basically foreclosure with a little different paperwork and a little faster process. So it's typically about a 50-day rather than a 90-day. Now, if the buyer has over 50% equity, then it actually is a nine-month process. So you don't always want to go that route, depending on what kind of strategy you're doing. Best ever listeners, do you want to make more money on your real estate projects? Well, I'm guessing that I'm hearing you say, oh yeah, baby. (laughs) Well, guess what, my friends? Today's best ever sponsor, Fund That Flip, is working with well, one of our previous best ever guests who has the most po- one of the most popular episodes, Jay Scott. If you aren't familiar with this episode, then go check that out, episode 217. If you are, because you're a loyal best ever listener, then you know that he knows how the heck to both analyze deals, especially flips, how to optimize the profits on those flips, and how to look at the market. Because of that, Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has worked with him and put together a guide that is the seven tips to increase your real estate profits in today's market. Go check that out. Go get that guide. I've read through it myself. I've learned a lot of things from it, from how to analyze the market cycles, as well as how to optimize profits and not lose money or mitigate your risk for losing money on your deals. Go check it out, fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. You're going to learn the tools to better understand your local market and position your business for success. You're going to know how to analyze the real estate cycle and how to use short-term investing to capitalize on the market cycle and seven concrete actionable tips to make more money on your deals. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and many other best ever guests. And with us today, we have Nate Tanner. Hello, Nate. How you doing? I'm doing really well. Nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about Nate. He is the owner of Hassle-Free Houses, a seller financing company. I'm going to be interested to talk to him about that. He's a real estate agent at Geneva Real Estate Investments. He's been a full-time real estate investor since 2006. He's got a portfolio that consists of doing some fix and flips, wholesale. He's got some few single-family home rentals, small apartments. The majority of his work is on seller-financed single-family homes. He's based in Phoenix, Arizona, and you can say hi to him at hasslefreehouses.com. With that being said, Nate, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Oh, you bet. So I did my first ever real estate deal back in 2002, so it's been a few years back, and that was actually a new construction built a house, partnered with the builder. So I financed it, he built it, and we sold it and split the profits. So kind of an unusual place to start. After that, I had a couple of rentals that I was renting out the rooms to the students close to Mesa Community College. But all that was kind of on the side. I was working on a restaurant marketing business, believe it or not, at the time. That was my full-time gig. 
but I sold that business in 2006. I think I made about 50 cents. I got out of <laughs> so, but at that point I got into real estate full time. So people in Arizona especially know that that was a kind of an interesting time to jump into real estate because we had just hit the peak and were about to come crashing down, unknown to me at that time. So jumped into real estate, was uh, doing some flipping, got my real estate license, had some pretty good success in flipping for a couple of years, and then the market came crashing down. So when it did crash, I had uh, six properties that had hard money loans at 18% interest. Ouch. And so that was kind of an ugly situation. So most people in that situation defaulted, but I was a little too stubborn to do that. So what I did was I brought in partners who could qualify for a bank loan. So I sold each property to an individual partner, and then we deeded it into an LLC that was a joint venture between me and the borrower. And then we sold the properties with seller financing so we could sell them for higher than what the market value of the property would be. Mm. So that's how I got into seller financing was just by need more than you know by figuring it out as a, a strategy. But it was a way to get out of those disastrous uh, situations on those six properties. But I realized at that time, you know, hey, this worked even for these way underwater properties. How great would it be if we bought the property right and did the same thing? And obviously, 2008 through 12, you know, we had some of the best prices in history to be able to do that. So, you know, it worked out really well moving forward from then. Yeah, you, you kind of stumbled into the business model during the crash just by being resourceful and then you've been focusing on it since then, huh? Exactly. Why do you like that model so much? Well, um, it's a way to kind of wring the most out of a real estate deal. So, uh, I guess we can run through kind of a, a quick example deal. Let's say you find a deal that's you buy it for seventy thousand, maybe it needs a thirty thousand worth of work round numbers, so you'd be in at a hundred thousand if you fixed it up and the ARV of or after repaired value of a hundred and forty thousand, that's kind of a, a typical deal. If you were to wholesale that deal, you'd probably make five thousand. If you were to flip it, you have a 40,000 range, but you'd probably end up making 25,000 after commissions and closing costs and carrying costs. Another strategy we like is wholetailing, which is kind of a cross between wholesale and retail where you just clean it up and put it on the market on the MLS. You might make 15,000 doing that. So with the hassle-free houses model, what we would do is clean it up, maybe fix it up a tiny bit, but sell it as a seller finance deal needing work. So minor fixer or sometimes major fixer. So in that example, we would probably sell it for about 105000 after putting 5000 or so into it. So at that point, the big key is to bring in a private lender, borrow 75000 from them, get all your money back, and then sell it about 10000 down to the new buyer. Our loan would be at 6%. Their loan would be at 8%. So we made 10000 up front, and we make a monthly spread, which over the 10 years would equal about 40000 So you made about 50000 about twice as much as you would on a flip and about 10 times as much as you would on the wholesale. So it's kind of the way if you don't need a big chunk of cash right now, which we're not in a situation where we need that, it's the way to 
get the most money out with doing kind of the least amount of work. So that's the way we look at it. Yeah, thank you for going through that so clearly. It was very, very straightforward. What type of paperwork do you use with the seller financing deal? So you can use just a regular mortgage in Arizona. It's typically a deed of trust. But what we generally use is called an agreement for sale. In other states, it has a lot of other names like contract for conveyance, contract for deed, land contract. We like the agreement for sale a little bit better than the deed of trust just strictly because of what happens if the buyer were to default. So an agreement for sale, the default process is a forfeiture, which is quicker and easier than the foreclosure process that you would have to go through with a regular deed of trust or mortgage. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. Instead of foreclosure, you go through forfeiture. Yeah. And what type of process is forfeiture? So it's basically foreclosure with a little different paperwork and a little faster process. So it's typically about a 50-day rather than a 90-day. Now, if the buyer has over 50% equity, then it actually is a nine-month process. So you don't always want to go that route, depending on what kind of strategy you're doing. But typically, if they have less than 20% equity, then it's just a 30-day process plus a 20-day notice. And another advantage is it doesn't go to auction. So with a forfeiture, you get the property back, period. With the foreclosure, if somebody comes in at the auction and pays you off, then you just get paid off. So if, let's say you're doing this five to 10 years later and the property's doubled in value, then the investor that's buying that property at the auction would be the one getting that equity instead of you. So mm. another advantage to doing the agreement for sale rather than the deed of trust. That's key right there, the forfeiture versus foreclosure then. Do you know if, if that's Arizona specific or is that other states too? I think most states have the same kind of installment sale or contract for deed. I don't know if it's all states, but you know, I hear about it from all sorts of other investors in other states. And so I would maybe venture a guess that it's available in all states, but I don't know that for sure. Okay. It's basically a land contract. As you mentioned earlier, some states call it different things. It sounds like it also could be called a master lease with option to purchase. That's a different thing with the agreement for sale or what I just refer to in general terms as an installment sale. The buyer does have equitable interest in title. So they have the what you call the benefits and burdens of ownership. Like if you're doing a lease, you have some complications with making the buyer responsible for the repairs and maintenance because technically the landlord's responsible. So even if you're doing a lease with an option and the option says that the tenants or the option or optionee is responsible for the repairs and maintenance, technically the landlord's still responsible, you know, if it comes down to a legal case. So, you know, with the agreement for sale or installment sale, the buyer's definitely responsible and the house doesn't have to be in livable condition. So that's a big key. They can buy it, they can fix it up themselves without there being a landlord involved. So you're just the lender. How many seller financing have we done? Probably like 100. You know, we've got a portfolio right now of around 60. And that includes a few rentals, but mostly seller finance type deals. All right. So out of those 100 and the 60 that you have, what's something that has surprised you along the way and that you've then course corrected and implemented a process for? 
I guess most of my course corrections are when I get burned by a buyer or a tenant. So for example, like early on, maybe we had a, a grace period on payments and then we got sick of dealing with people who always push it to the limits. So then we implemented no grace period. We implemented your only payment option is through automatic draft first of the month. Basically, hassle-free houses is supposed to be hassle-free not only for the buyer, who maybe can't qualify in any other way, but also for us in managing the properties or the notes. We want it to be hassle-free for us as well. So every time we have a hassle, we try to implement something that we don't have to deal with it again in the future. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Hmm. Well... On the residential side of things, I think it would be kind of what we went through, you know, trying to wring the most out of every deal. We don't do a ton of volume right now just because the market's up and it's harder to find the deals. We're doing about one per month, so not a ton. You know, back in 2012, we were doing more like three per month, so still not a ton. You know, some wholesalers are doing 30 to 40 a month, in which case they don't have to wring the most out of every deal. But for us, we want to analyze each one and say, how can we make the most possible money out of this deal? And do you change the financing terms or recalibrate other aspects like the upfront down payment in order to maximize that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you could get more down, you're better off but you don't want to ask for too much because then you won't have any buyers that have that much. So we've kind of settled on 10% as a, a reasonable amount in the current market. You know, back when the prices were a lot lower, we could get 20% or 25% sometimes, but at the current market, 10% is kind of a reasonable place to be. And the, the interest rates that I shared, those are kind of realistic on today's numbers. We borrow at 6% and sell at 8%. But obviously, with the rates being ridiculously low for so long, eventually they'll go up and then we'll pay more to our lenders and charge more to our borrowers. Do you do fixed interest rates on these or are they adjustable? Um, We prefer to do fixed and we always did fixed with a balloon payment until the Dodd-Frank Act came along. And now you kind of can't do balloon payments if you're doing more than three per year, which we obviously are. So what we've gone to in some cases is a graduated rate where it's fixed, but after eight years, it goes up 1% per year for a certain amount of time. We haven't actually done adjustable rates yet, but we may be going to that. We're also just doing shorter terms like we did one recently that was just a 10-year fully amortized loan. So the buyer had a really high payment, but their house will be totally paid off after the 10 years. And that's a good model if you can find a buyer that can afford that payment. You know, most buyers can't pay a 10-year amortized payment. So we have to kind of get creative about that. How do you figure this out? You got a spreadsheet that you work with? Well, we kind of back into things. We say, who's our buyer going to be? How much can he afford? That's our payment. Okay, based on that, what's our sale price? You know, what length of time, what amortization are we going to look at? You know, we kind of just work at each one based on what we think we can get from a borrower. Someone with not as much cash up front, then you'll increase the interest rate a little bit to make up for the down payment. That's not as much as what someone else could bring. Potentially, yeah. Uh, At this point, we don't really like to deal with people who don't have 10% down. We've done a lot of lease options in the past, but the default rate on those is a lot higher than if you do an installment sale where the, the buyer's actually on title 
coming in with a large down payment. You know, those almost never default. In fact, I don't think we've had any default on those. With lease options, we get about 10% defaulting and that's not hassle-free. And a company's called Hassle-Free Houses. So, you know, we just don't want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And based on your experience with all these, what's the best way to find these properties in this competitive market that you described that Phoenix is going through and a lot of the markets are going through? If I knew the best way, I'd probably be doing more than one deal a month. But the way we're doing it is just old grassroots kind of stuff, putting up signs, sending out mailers, you know, passing out flyers, getting leads on our website, you know, all those little trickles of deals. Back in 2008 to 2012, it was more like grocery store kind of deals. You just back your truck up and fill it up with deals. You know, obviously that was a good time to be in real estate, but nowadays you have to kind of get creative. So I hear some investors say direct mail is the only way to go. Others, you know, are all about online. We kind of do a little bit of each and get a few deals from each. Um, But eventually we'll hopefully figure out a magic bullet and be able to find a lot more. Where'd you get your last deal from? Oh, let's see. It was a direct mail piece. What about the one before that? That was a website lead. And the one before... No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. Well, you ready for the best ever lightning round? Uh, Sure, hit me. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K investorgroup.com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you've read? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Oldie But a Really Goodie. What's the best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? Hmm. I am a big fan of uh, personal growth books, tapes, seminars, all that stuff, but I'm going to go with having my first child, which happened seven months ago. You know, that really gave me a new perspective on what life is all about. And, you know, it's been a definite personal growth experience. Congratulations to your family on that one. Thank you. Best ever deal you've done? Hmm. Well, you know, these hassle-free houses type deals, I think they're all like the best ever deal. The most exciting deal I did was in 2007. It was a flip where I bought it for 300, put very little into it, sold it for 400. I didn't make 100,000 on it because I offered a 10% realtor commission as a just a way to get some buzz on the deal. But at the time, you know, it was like, whoa, I just made, you know, 50 or 60 grand on it flip this was awesome and I hardly did anything to the property and I paid like 2000 for staging but as far as repairs you know it's like less than $500 so at the time I was like oh this is amazing and but that it was a my best deal but maybe my worst deal because it led to me getting really cocky and just going wild on you know buying everything I could get my hands on as the market was crashing so you know that led to what we talked about earlier getting stuck but at the time it was like the best deal you know that I could possibly imagine. So. Yeah, and knowing what we know now, if it was in 2007, it, it since you flipped it so quickly and got that fifty thousand or whatever you ended up with, good thing you did that. I know you it, it made you get a little bit cocky and get a little bit more aggressive, but still, it's better that than losing the money. For sure. 
best ever way you like to give back? Well, good question. Um, so right now, pretty much the only way we give back, my wife and I, uh, you know, go to church and we do tithing and, and we basically let the church figure out what to do with that. But my wife and I both feel strongly about, you know, that it's important to help children in general. And so we're looking at some other options, some other organizations and things we can do in that arena. But yeah, currently it's just basically going through the tithes through the church. What's the biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate? Um, well, we talked about some mistakes I've made, um, but I think in general, it's just being afraid of picking up the phone, trying to figure stuff out on my own rather than if you have a problem or a question, and you're willing to pick up the phone and call 10 other people and ask them for their suggestions, you're going to find the answer. But I've always kind of been a little bit introverted and like to kind of just figure things out on my own, Google it instead of picking up the phone. But when I do pick up the phone, for whatever referral kind of thing I'm looking for, I always end up with a solution. So that's kind of been the biggest mistake. Let's pretend the 2008 crash hits tomorrow in the Phoenix market. What happens to your portfolio of 60 properties? I don't think anything in particular would happen. I mean, some people, instead of having a lot, some of the borrowers, instead of having a lot of equity, might be a little underwater. But I don't foresee anybody really defaulting because they've got skin in the game and they, they've got reasonable payments. And it would maybe cause a little bit of default, but I wouldn't foresee any big problems. You know, we've got a couple of flips going on that we might be underwater all of a sudden on, but... Uh, other than that, we'd be fine. And just to play out the scenario of a couple people defaulting, then that means you get the property back and now you're responsible for those mortgage payments and taxes and insurance, right? Yeah. We've had that happen, like I said, on the lease options and basically you uh, clean up the property, do the same thing again, and often come out ahead. Not every time, but you know, it's definitely not something that's a big concern. What's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? Um, I'll give you my email. It's uh, Nate, N-A-T-E, at hasslefreehouses.com. Nate, I like your style. You're very straightforward and you have a business model that makes a bunch of sense. In my next life, if I were to focus on single families, then based on all the interviews I've done, I've interviewed people who take this approach. This really is a good business model. And especially coming from someone who has gone through the crash and implemented this business model as a result of that, nothing besides booze is recession proof and maybe cigarettes (laughs) (laughs) and gambling. But this is certainly a good way to help mitigate the risk against another 2008, which you know may or may not be coming. I think it might be something like that after the election, but that's, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, uh, that would be an interesting conversation, but yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again. I mean, you, I love how you went through that one sample deal. So buy it for 70,000, you fix it up for 30, and then the ARV is 130. So you could either wholesale it, make 5K, fix and flip it, make 25K, wholesale it, where basically you're putting some Windex on, on the glass and maybe vacuuming and then selling it to the end buyer, putting on MLS, make about 15K. Or you do the seller finance deal, you make a down payment up front after you put a little bit of money into it and you sell it for something that is a deal 
but you're also getting the monthly spread on an ongoing basis over the course of the loan and you're getting paid off. So really enjoyed our conversation. I know the best ever listeners did as well. Hope you have a best ever day. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K investorgroup.com forward slash best ever.